2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we will be looking at verses 5 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through uh, 11. In a 2013 interview, the CEO of a Christian humanitarian organization said, it's the exception that organizations stay true to its mission. The natural course, the unfortunate national evolution of many original Christ-centered missions is to drift. I read that again. It is the exception that, that an organization stays true to its mission. The natural course, the unfortunate natural evolution of many original Christ-centered missions is to drift. And churches aren't immune from this drifting. The village church isn't immune from this drifting. Drift happens because mission and vision leaks. Over time, we can lose sight of our purpose as a church as a local church and as a church universal, it happens. Read church history. Look at what's happening in the church in America today, the things that some churches are embracing. Our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is, is broken people coming together to embrace and extend his love. Each of you, all of y'all, must take ownership of those statements. If you never take ownership of them personally, they're just simply pointless words. They look, they look good on the brochure and on our website, but they mean nothing. Do you own them? Will you come join the mission and vision with us? I've been refilling the, your vision cups the past two Sundays, pouring into them God's forgiveness, to describing to you what it means to embrace his forgiveness. For embracing God's forgiveness is part of embracing his love for you. It's part of it. And as you embrace it, you also extend it. Embrace and extend. You see, all believers are to extend to other people the same forgiveness they embrace from God the Father. Extending forgiveness is part of extending his love to other image bearers. So if you got your Bible, Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we're going to primarily focus on verses 5 and 6 today. We're going to see a real-life example of what it's like to extend forgiveness within the local church. Now receive with great joy God's word to his beloved. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So, should, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him so he may not be overwhelmed by obsessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is where I woke you, that I might test and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. This is God's holy word. Please pray with him for me. Holy Spirit, we again, as, as I often pray before the preaching of the word, 
I pray to you because you are the one who makes preaching powerful. The pastor does not. I don't care how gifted he is. He does not get preaching power. The Spirit does. The Spirit does. So, Holy Spirit, if you don't move, nothing happens. Period. So, I call upon you. I cry out to you that you will move in my heart and my mind. Move in the hearts of the congregation. I pray that each one here will receive from the message what they need to receive today so that they can go out into the world, into their life, and fight and engage one more week. So, Holy Spirit, you are the counselor. You're the one who leads us into all truth. And so I'm praying for you to do your job. It's not my, that's, that's your lane. I want you to be in your lane, Holy Spirit. And that is the lane that leads us to Christ and to remind us of his word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, the well-known South African president, served 27 years in, in prison. He was convicted and sentenced to life for trying to overthrow the state. And if you know the history, he fought against an unjust system uh, called apartheid. And so where one group of people benefited from this system and a whole lot of other people were oppressed by it. And when he was finally released from prison, this is what he said. He said, as I walked out the door towards the gates that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I, not, if I did not leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'll still be in prison. As I walked out the door towards the gates that will lead to my actual freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. What do you think those words represent by President Mandela? Was he just walking towards actual freedom? No, he's also walking towards forgiveness. Extending real forgiveness to real people who unjustly imprisoned him for 27 years. That's what he's talking about. All of us have been hurt by other people's words and actions. It's a fact. We have been. And you have also hurt others with your words and, and your actions. So look back over your week. Look at your relationship. Look at your interactions with other people, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your siblings, your teammates and strangers and people who are different than you, people in this church, people, the person sitting next to you right now. Can you and are you Extending the same forgiveness to them that you freely embrace from God daily. Are you? Because if we can't forgive, then we are in jail. You're not really living in freedom. Extend the forgiveness to people who hurt you and wound you and abuse you and offend you isn't easy. But it can set you free from bitterness and hatred. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Extending forgiveness to people who sin against you doesn't happen overnight. I don't know about you. I do. I don't want people quoting to me Joseph's story when they're trying to get me to forgive somebody. It ain't like he saw those jokers the next day. Okay, he didn't see them the next day. It was years later when he saw those knuckleheads. 
So don't quote me that verse. That happened years later. And so things had to happen to bring Joseph to a place to forgive them. And the same thing is with us. It doesn't happen overnight. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. Don't quote to me, what would Jesus do? You ain't Jesus. It's okay that it's a process. It can be long. It can be short. It's even a marathon. It's a process that involves both the offender and the one who's offended, the one who has sinned and the one who was hurt by it. See, the first aspect to this process of, of extended forgiveness is actually discipline. It's part of the process. That's church discipline. I know you're saying that's a thing, Pastor. Church discipline? Yeah, it's a thing. The village church actually practices that. Now, some of you might not like that. Others, you may feel a certain way about that. But church discipline is one of the marks of the church. And it is good when it's done right. It doesn't always feel good. One pastor says, so often, church discipline is viewed in a negative light as hard and unnecessary but it's actually a healing measure for the church as well as for those involved. We often look at the front end of discipline, the negative consequences, and we say, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it for a parent to to give just discipline to their kid? Is it worth it, parent? Is it really worth it for the village church to practice church discipline yes it is worth it it's part of extending forgiveness to other people within the body it's it's a means of god's grace to the church do you believe that do you accept that this church discipline is a means of god's grace what do you think what do you believe the church at corinth it accepts this it believes this and it even practices it you see, there's an issue within that local body, an offense, a sin issue that, that has, that a sin issue in the church that has taken place. In the church, and along with the Apostle Paul, they address the issue. They don't sweep it under the rug. They don't hide it. They don't pretend like nothing's happening. They don't justify it. Look at what has happened in certain churches when it comes to sexual abuse in churches and harassment of sisters in Christ. Look at what has happened to those churches. Things happen in the church. It happens. The question is, what are you going to do when it happens? What are we going to do when it happens? There is an acknowledgement of the sin and the offense. And the acknowledgement of the offense is part of the discipline process. It means when you acknowledge the offense, you're telling the truth about what happened. You're bringing into the light what has happened. And his thing, you got to be clear about it because clear is kind. You have to be clear. Paul says in verse five, now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but to some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. Paul addresses real people, real Christians, real sin, real pain, real issues in this verse. This is this is not make believe. This is not Marvel's multiverse. This is the local community of Christ, and somebody has caused issues in it. 
and the people that he's addressing. The phrase to all of you is referring to Christians, people who have saving faith in him, people who already trust and surrender to Jesus as, as redeemer and king. So do you trust and surrender to Jesus as redeemer and king? Do you know him? If you don't know him, then he freely invites you to come to him today. As I told the leadership team yesterday, I'm going to always present the gospel when I preach. I don't care what I'm talking about. The gospel will come through. And not everybody here knows Jesus. And so the invitation to you is to come, acknowledge your sin to him, confess him as Lord and Savior. And when you do, he will receive you. You would be at peace with God. And it's through his life, his death, and his resurrection. All you got to do is come to him. And when you do that, you will be part of God's covenant family. You'll be part of our family at the village church where broken people come together. And when broken people come together, well, let's just say things happen. Let's just say things happen. If we're going to be... If we're going to genuine strive to do real community together, issues are destined to arise at some point. You can't live in close proximity of people and not expect issues to come up. Look at your family. Do y'all have issues in your family? Or is everything perfect? Is everything good? Come on. There's issues everywhere. And there will be issues here. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? We we can't be the church. There there, there are times when I do marriage counseling, and when when couples say to me, man, we never have arguments. Well, y'all ain't communicating. (laughs) The same thing here. If we don't have any issues, that means we ain't really doing life together. We just window dressing we just window dressing. So what are we going to do when it happens? When it happens. In the church in Corinth, a member of sin has called issues in the body. And sin, it does threaten the peace and purity of any local church when believers sin against one another, even our church. Our individual corporate sin, it can damage others. It can wreak havoc in their lives. And so what are you going to do when that happens to you here, what are you going to do when someone here offends you? When someone here does something that you think is inappropriate? When someone wounds you with their words and thoughts and actions? What's going to be your course of action? What are you going to do when you get your feelings hurt? What would Jesus do? How about this? Begin the process of extending forgiveness. And it starts with you acknowledging the offense to your brother and sister in Christ. Go to them and tell them the truth about your feelings, about how you perceive their actions, about your expectations. Don't pretend. Don't sit in silence. Don't just leave the church. Don't fake it. Be real and be clear about it. Be really clear about it. Paul is real about what has happened in the church in Corinth. The, um, the ESV translation doesn't bring, communicate this, but Paul is also grieved by what has happened. 
just like some of the other church members are. The message Bible says, now regarding the one who started all this, the person in question who caused all this pain, I want you to know that I'm not the one injured in this as much, but with a few exceptions as all of you. So it does impact Paul too. And I want you also to notice something that Paul acknowledges the pain and the grief that's felt without overstating the situation. He doesn't make it worse. He says not to put it too severely. He's telling the truth without without just being extra. You know what being extra is. There's honesty without putting the offender on blast. You see, there's a certain attitude that you must have when you go to a brother and sister in Christ in order to acknowledge to them the issue you have with them. You speak the truth in love. Don't be self-righteous. Speak the truth in love. Confront with without shame and guilt. Be firm and gentle at the same time. Be humble. And after you clearly acknowledge to your brother and sister the issue, then you hold your brother and sister accountable for their actions. Because accountability is a part of discipline as well. And accountability means a willingness to accept responsibility for one's actions. That's what that means. We're all responsible for our own actions. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it because you want to. Paul's acknowledgement of the issue in the church, it holds the offender accountable for his actions. Because when accountability, you you want your brother or sister to take ownership of what they have done towards you. You want them to, you want to look them in the eyes and say, when you did this, this is how I felt about it. Please help me understand. Was that your intent? You want him or her to see the way that their words or actions have wounded you. You want them to say, I received your correction. And I see how my actions have grieved you. That's what you want to hear from them. And after the acknowledgement, after their accountability, thirdly, there, there's an action. Sin always has consequences. Always. Verse 6, Paul says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. The message Bible says, I don't want to come down too hard, but the majority of you agree to as punishment is punishment enough. The Greek now that's translated uh, punishment, the Greek now that's translated punishment, it's related to two verbs that mean rebuke, disapproval of one's actions, and warnings in order to prevent certain actions. So the punishment here is more like a censure. It's not like judgment. It's a formal expression of disapproval. And along with that, there are actions that should lead to spiritual correctness. The brother in our text is under church discipline. And I don't know, we don't know what the issue is. Paul doesn't say what the issue is. But it's clear from the text that the whole church had placed him under church discipline for what has happened. And his act, and their actions towards him is meant to bring this brother to repentance for what he has done. TVC Saints. How should the acknowledgement of an offense, the accountability to the offender, and the action required of the offender function within our church. How should it function? What should it look like? We cannot build a church that says we're going to be issue free. 
That's, 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 that's in heaven. We ain't in heaven yet. We can't build a church that says we're gonna, we, we ain't ever gonna argue. We ain't ever gonna get in each other's nerves. We ain't ever gonna offend each other. That is not real life. So we are, I assume stuff don't happen. So when it happens, how do we deal with it? It should function like Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. Paul gives three steps. He said, go and show the brother or sister their fault. That's the acknowledgement. That's the accountability. Second, if the person will not listen to you, then you take two or three others along. Step three, if the person will not listen to them still, you bring the matter before the whole church. Church, it means you come to the elders. You bring the elders in, and we'll take it from there. See, the purpose of church discipline isn't shame, guilt, judgment, or condemnation. It's not putting a scarlet letter on anyone's chest. That is not the intent. Our pastor says church discipline has two aspects. The discipline itself and also the receiving back of the repentant sinner into the fellowship of the body. That's the purpose. For the village church, we have three purposes of church discipline. We go over these things in our new members class. The first is the integrity of the name of Jesus Christ. That's one purpose. The second is the protection of the church. And the third is the repentance, restitution, and the restoration of the wandering Christian. Those are our three purposes of it. And none of those have to do anything about judgment and, and laying down the hammer on anybody. It's good when it's done right. Because things happen in our life. And God can use that for our good. In Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 2, it says, Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility towards himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that's addressed to you as sons and daughters? My sons and daughters, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor weary when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines who He, the one he loves, and he chastises every son in whom he receives. No, no amens on that. That's from God's word. An earthly father who disciplines his kids loves his kids. A father who doesn't does not. I'm not talking about abuse, verbal or physical. I'm talking about appropriate God-centered discipline is love. I'm not talking about overstepping the bounds within order. And the same is true for our Heavenly Father who uses the church to end that process. So the reasons, there are three reasons for church discipline in the village. The first is the unrepentant moral offenses. Unrepentant moral offenses. First Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has taken his father's wife, and you are ignorant. Or you not rather be mourned? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Again, that ain't in the world. That's in the church. In the church, among Christians. Can that happen here? You dang right it can happen here. 
It can. The second reason is unrepentant doctoral abuses. Titus 1 says, For there are many rebellious people, mad talkers and deceivers. They must be silent because they are messing up whole households by teaching things that ought not to be taught. So as, as, as a church, we're going to be Bible-centered. We are going to teach sound theology. Now that's what we're going to do. And again, if I say something from the pulpit that you may misinterpret it, you got my email, you got my phone number. Call me. Don't have parking lot conversation about me. Love me enough to call me. Third, the unrepentant divisiveness. Titus 3 says, when a divisive, warn a divisive person once, then warn him a third time. After that, have nothing to do with him. All those things are meant to protect you. This local body of Christ. And when, when we do church discipline, there has to be a certain spirit behind it when it happens. And that is a spirit of humility. Because what? We all got, who got issues? And if you forget that, yeah, that's the issue, a big one. So there's a certain spirit we have. You, you, you have a spirit of humility, a spirit of pursuit, a spirit of mutual brokenness. You have that. A spirit of gentleness. A spirit of, of grief for those who wander away. Like your heart should break. Because here's the thing. If you are at odds with another believer here, I hope you know that hurts the whole body. Think about your, 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 your immediate family. When, you're, when you got two kids that's not getting along, you think your family's well by that? No, the family's not well. The same is true here. So please know, any conflict you have with another believer is a threat to the peace and purity of our church. So you have to deal with it. Because if you don't, the enemy will. Don't give him a footstool in our body. Don't give him a footstool in your family. All he needs is an inch. All he needs is an inch. Value the peace and purity of our congregation. Take nothing for granted. There's a spirit of restoration for those who wonder, and this is important too, a spirit of empathy. Can you have empathy for someone who sins against you? Because what you want is justice. What you want is judgment. What you want is punishment. But can you look at that brother and sister and have empathy for them, even though you're grieved by the fact that they wounded you? Because again, your example is Christ. Not the world, not man, Jesus. Is your example. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are bonded together. We're going to be in glory together. That's going to happen. So let's treat one another that way. Right here on this side of glory. Can we do that? Can we be real. With one another. Because in any family. Definitely my family. When you go to Thanksgiving dinner. You have. Certain people in your family you're not really close to. You always got that uncle. You got that auntie. You got that cousin. They're going to be right here. And no more amens. They're going to be right here. That uncle. That cousin. Can you love them? As Christ loves you. It's not a, Your option would be love them or you're going to eventually leave here and go to another church. But guess what? It's going to follow you there. Unless you're just not going to go to church anymore and be part of Christian community anymore. So this is an opportunity 
for us to show the world what it's like for broken people to do life together and not break fellowship when we don't get our way. That's, a, that's, a, that's, the, that's the gospel to the world who don't know Christ. Those people, man, they, I don't understand them. They, they, they argue and fuss, but they still love each other. What is that? That's Jesus, man. That's Jesus. That's what keeps us together. Because the logo on our logos, in the midst of our brokenness, is a cross. And that's on purpose. As long as that cross is at the center, there is nothing that we can't get through as a church. But if I put my culture, my ethnicity, my politics, and my money, and my, my, my there, then that's when we get in trouble. Because in the midst of our brokenness is Jesus, not our stuff. And as long as we focus in on that, church, there is nothing that we cannot get through and there's nothing that we can't conquer. And that's what the enemy will come for. That's what he comes for, is that we, he comes for Christ being the center. What are, will you take, what will you substitute the cross for? In this church and make that the thing. What is it for you? And that's what the enemy will come for. It's always easy to leave. I'm asking you, when stuff happens, will you stay and let's duke it out under the cross together? Because we're family. We're in community. First world Christianity, we have the luxury to just leave. Because we're not a persecuted church. But I'm asking you, let us function like we are. Let us truly believe, I need the person sitting next to me. Because we're going to sing a song at the end of the service called I Need You to Survive. It's It's a song about needing other believers in our life. Valuing their presence. That's what it's about. And the same thing is for you young people. For you as well. When you leave this church, and when you graduate, and go off to, to be all that God wants you to be. I want you to leave here knowing what it means to be part of a church family. A family that has your back. A family that loves you. That you would not leave here hating the church. But you would leave here and say, I know what it's like to be part of a healthy body of Christ. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not going there to get. I'm going to give. What do you have to offer to the person sitting next to you? Offer them your love. Offer them your grace. Offer them your hospitality. Offer them advice. There's a spirit of rejoicing over those who repent. And there's a spirit of love. All this is done and love. And I truly believe it's a testimony to God's goodness when we do these things well. It's a witness to the to the world that, that doesn't know Christ. Let us model that church. Let us live into that. Saints, what is discipline looks like at the village church? It's a acknowledgement of the issue, it's accountability to the offender, and there's action steps to the offender that's appropriate. And it's not fun, but when it's done right, it is good. It ain't going to feel good, but it's good. Let us pray. Holy Spirit.
I don't always like sermons like this, but I preach the whole counsel of God here. And so I just pray that whoever needed to hear the word today, that it has ministered to them. I pray for wisdom for the elders. That's the task you have given us to shepherd uh, this congregation. I pray you give us the spirit that I talked about, Lord, the spirit of humility, gentleness, compassion, empathy, as we do our best to shepherd the congregation. And I pray that the congregation will let us shepherd them as well. And so be with this church. Be with us as we go out and navigate life and do life together. Help us to keep short accounts with one another. Help us to be honest if we are offended by something that has happened. Help us to do those things because we love one another. So if we're really going to do life together, let's do it. If you're going to be here, be here. And so I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.